Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Jason Lipschutz, and I am an associate editor and the Pop Shop blog editor of Billboard.com. Based in New York, on the other line in Los Angeles, is the pills to my potions, Keith Caulfield. How's it going, Keith? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Keith, today is a special episode of the Pop Shop Podcast. We, You know, normally uh, we recap the chart world, the Hot 100, the Billboard 200 chart. We talk about specific songs and albums and whatnot. Today we are exploring how how we make those chart world you know, factoids happen, how, you know, how these charts work with another segment of Ask the Pop Shop. It's uh, basically a fan-based segment, a mailbag, if you will. We had listeners submit questions over the past week using the hashtag Ask the Pop Shop on Twitter, and we got a ton of great questions about pop music, the chart world, and pop music within the chart world. Thanks to everybody who submitted a question. Um, We'll try to get to as many as possible. Keith, I, I, I love doing these. Um, what, what do you think, man? Are, are you excited? I love speaking to the people. <laughs> well, do you get, I, I'm sure you get a ton of just random questions on Twitter uh, after you blast out your chart stories. Like, hey, why is this happening? Like, do you just get inundated with stuff like that? Um, well, it depends. Uh, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Um, I do, in general, though, um, chat a lot about charts and, um, you know, play the part of a sometimes exasperated chart fan, um, you know, or, you know, that sort of thing where you'll engage with people on Twitter about, you know, oh, their favorite chart moves or, you know, wasn't amazing when this happened and at at this time in history, this happened. So, yeah, I mean, this is just sort of a jumping off point to a larger conversation that we can all have about the Billboard charts between me, you and Jason, me and you, you meaning the listener and Jason, the other guy (laughs) in the other line. (laughs) Listen, I am. So what's going to happen is uh, we've kind of divided up these questions. Keith is taking the more, you know, in the trenches, chart questions. I'm going to take the the more fun pop questions. Um, that's <laughs> I get the math, and he gets the Basically. fun stuff. <laughs> well, we'll both we'll both discuss the pop questions, but you know, in, in terms of you know, there's there are questions about how these charts work, how they operate, and you know what? I, I leave that to the chart expert in Los Angeles. Um, yeah, man. I, I mean, this was a great success a couple months ago, and um, thanks again to everyone who submitted a question. Let's let's get to it. We are we're going to try to barrel through as many as humanly possible uh, within this half hour show. So um, the first question is uh, from at J at Kings, and bef- before I move on, I just want to apologize if I mispronounce 
anyone's name. My last name is Lipshots. I'm used to mispronunciations, so I apologize in advance. Uh, Jay at Kings wants to know, Hey, Keith, when ranking the Hot 100 songs, do the radio sales and streaming points have equal weight, like one-third each? Now, this is something that we talk about each week, how a song moves up or down the Hot 100 chart. Why is it number one? Why is it in the top ten? It's all a combination of you know, radio and sales and streaming, as this, as Jay Kings notes. But how? what is the breakdown for each one? Well... That's a very good question. It is a good question. So the, the reason why the Hot 100 is so, so special and such a unique chart is that it is a chart that uh, cobbles together sales, radio airplay, and also, you know, serious satellite stations airplay, um, and streaming data into one chart to represent what are the 100 most popular songs of the week in the United States. In order to achieve this, we have sort of a special sauce formula that gives us that ranking each week. And generally speaking, the the formula targets a ratio of sales around 35 to 45% depending on the week, airplay 30 to 40% again depending on the week, and then streaming about 20 to 30%. That's generally the ratio that that comes out each week. It can be a little bit different each week depending on you know, if you have a number of songs that sell an incredible number in a particular week, um, say if it's Christmas time and you have a lot of songs selling tons and tons and tons, or if it's a particularly low week for sales and the airplay kind of overtakes it, sometimes the ratios can be a little bit out of whack, just a little bit. But generally, those percentages that I just named is what we target each week. Um, it, it can change a little bit, but that's what we target. It's interesting that they're not like set in stone each week. Well, the, 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 the element that is set in stone is the what we call the dividers. Um, so there are raw figures that we have for each of those data points. So a, a song may sell 100,000 downloads and have you know 100 million in audience impressions from airplay and you know 10 million streams. We then have to take each of those numbers and divide it by a certain number to achieve the overall ratio for the chart. And so that number is, is the constant. And then at the end of the day, when you look at the overall chart, the overall chart itself, when you look at how much the airplay sales and streams actually balances out, that's those percentages that I just talked about. On the individual level, a particular song can be overwhelmingly driven by streams, for example. Say Bowers' Harlem Shake, when it went to number one more yeah. than a year ago, it was almost all streams because it was such a huge hit on YouTube. And then some songs are overwhelmingly overwhelmingly driven by airplay. Um, like a country song might have not very many sales at all, but it's a huge hit in terms of country radio. But when you look at the whole chart, added all together, all 100 songs, that's the percentages that we mentioned earlier. That's what we aim for the entire chart. But on a, on a song level, it doesn't break down to that exactly because some songs are just huge sellers and no one's playing them or vice versa. Does that make sense? And as a lot as a lot of people know, I mean, the Hot 100 is over 50 years old. The ratios have always been evolving and, and incorporating new components mm -hmm. like streaming. Like streaming, yes. Like <laughs> yeah. YouTube. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks to uh, Jay at Kings for that question. So we got to move on. At Lovato Attack, I have a feeling this question from At Lovato Attack is about Demi Lovato. Oh, it, hey, look at that. It is. Um, hey, what do you think about Demi Lovato's new single, Really Don't Care, 
featuring Cher Lloyd. Will it be a hit? So, Really Don't Care is, I believe, the fourth single from Demi Lovato's fourth album, Demi, um, which was released last May. And Really Don't Care is interesting because mo- I, I, if I, I, I might be wrong in this, but I think it's the only song with a featured artist on it, and it's Cher Lloyd, and she's rapping. She has like a guest verse, and she's she's rapping it, and it's it's a it's a really fun song. It's it's one of my favorite songs on this album. Um, Keith, you noted that it is it is doing well on our pop songs chart, or it's starting to do well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I we were talking before the show started, and I was telling Jason about where the song is at on the pop songs chart, which is called Mainstream Top Forty. If you're looking at Billboard.biz or the magazine, it's the chart that ranks the most popular songs on Mainstream Top Forty Radio. <sighs> this week, <laughs> the the song. Sorry, I have a lot of preamble. The hey, song. No worries, man. The song goes forty to thirty four this week uh, okay. with a bullet. It's up seventy one percent in spins at Top Forty Radio. So it's. It's a developing hit. It's not like a huge hit yet, but it actually is still showing uh, growth. So it's it's off to the, the the right start. I think what has helped it was that over the past month, Demi Lovato had that whole Demiversary thing where it was like the one-year anniversary of the Demi album. Um, and the discounted price of that album helped it go back into the top 20 of the Billboard 200 albums chart. Also, she's been performing the song on morning shows. Cher Lloyd just released a new album a couple weeks ago, so she's kind of in the news. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think this song, this song's been compared to I Love It by Iconopop, um, which I think is is definitely fair. I don't think it's it's a it's the it's not the kind of song that blows me away. I think it's I think it's very likable and and very hooky. I would love to see, and I've been, <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this, Keith, I've been stumping on Twitter for more than a year for Demi Lovato to make the song Something That We're Not off Demi a single. You know, Something That We're Not is like the best song that Kelly Clarkson never wrote and performed. Like, it's so, so, so cheeky and just this perfect pop rock track, and I would love to see that be a single. We'll see about Really Don't Care. It's getting started, as Keith mentioned. So thanks to Lovato Attack. Um, at Adam Bexton, who uh, who sent us in a couple questions. We only have a, have one here, but thanks, Adam. At Adam Bexton wants to know, besides maybe Taylor Adele, and I assume he means Taylor Swift, are there any artists left capable of selling one million albums in a week? Now, 2013 was a year where no album sold more than one million in a week. That, that's right, right? That, right that is correct. Because Justin Timberlake came closest with a little over 900,000 with uh, the first 2020 experience. He did not cross a million. So it hasn't happened for more than a year. I think the last one was probably Red by Taylor Swift. Um, uh, I, think I think so. so. <laughs> for and Red, yeah. That was uh, late End of 2012. Yeah, that was October 2012. And I think a lot of people assume that Adele's follow-up to 21 is going to be a, a blockbuster just because that that album did so well. No pressure, so, Adele. No pressure at all. No pressure, Adele. Keith, what do you what do you think about this? Well, I think um, a relative handful of people have achieved the amazing achievement of selling one million copies of one album in one week. 
Um, it's highly unusual for that to happen. So let's keep that in perspective. It's 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 rare. Uh, that said, uh, yes, Taylor Swift seems like a pretty decent uh, lock for selling a million copies of her next album in a week, just because of her history of having done it repeatedly. Uh, Adele, probably a good shot. Now, Beyonce's last album, uh, for example, almost did it if I think it had come out earlier in the week because the album came out on a Thursday night, Friday, didn't it? Yeah, Yeah. midnight on Thursday. Yeah, So, and it sold 617,000 copies in basically three days, and then it sold... 374 in its first full week on sale. So in its first 10 days, it sold, well, no, in its first, yeah, its first 10 days, it sold like nearly a million copies. So had that release been on a Monday, I think she probably could have done a million. Um, I think Little Wayne probably can do it because he's almost done, he, his last Little Wayne, his last The Carter album almost did a million in its first week. Yeah. Um, Justin Timberlake certainly almost did. So without saying who's going to do it, I would rather say I think it's completely possible and still achievable. Even in this sort of depressed state of album sales, there are still a handful of artists that can really move the needle if the album and the setup and the marketing and the execution of it are all done correctly, as we almost saw with Beyonce, as we almost saw with Justin Timberlake. Yeah, I I think that it it, it does all kind of come down to the circumstances because you know, you you mentioned Beyonce. It it was the way that she did it where you absolutely had to have it immediately because you know the album that she released before her self titled album four didn't come anywhere close to a million copies. But because Beyonce the album came out unexpectedly, you know, with all of these music videos, and you you could only buy it at iTunes. You absolutely had to buy it immediately then I, it, it had a huge number. I think someone like, you know, there are a ton of artists that I think could fit into that category. Say, you know, in a year or so, Drake just drops an album completely out of the sky on iTunes. Like, oh, there, look at that. There's Drake's fourth album on iTunes. Could that get close to a million copies? I mean, he, he in the standard, you know, album promotion cycle, well, his last he did album, like 600,000. His last 000. album did 658, 658,000 in its first week, and that was a sort of a standard setup. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, which is which isn't close to a million, but I'm saying like, what if what if he pulls a Beyonce, going from like the four model of a, a standard album release, and then going to this completely innovative idea where you absolutely have to have the album immediately. Drake has the fan base. I'm just using his. I'm agreeing with as you. An example. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like yeah, like you said, Justin Timberlake could do the same thing. Um, who knows? Who knows? But I think I think there are definitely artists out there. Um, I'm I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that jumps immediately to mind. Um, you know, I, I think say like I don't know, maybe maybe like what do you think about like Madonna? Like if she just if there was just oh my god, there's a new Madonna album just on iTunes tomorrow. Like I don't think so. Maybe not a million, but maybe close i i don't know man I, like it it really depends on on the execution of it um it, it means oh, it's think, all i think it, kanye, it, all, it all depends think, on the particular project i think kanye i mean listen yeezus only sold like 300 something thousand but that was a completely offbeat project kanye has the fans if he just dropped an amazing new album on, on itunes tomorrow i think he could definitely get close to it so thanks to adam for that question um at dpd who is um 
who is a, a friend, Dan, who writes for Salon.com. Um, thanks for the question, Dan. He asks, what, if anything, went wrong with the birthday rollout? He's talking about Katy Perry. Shouldn't it be out charting Dark Horse by now? So birthday uh, just celebrated, uh, no pun intended. It's eighth week on the Hot 100. It is in the top 20 right now. But Dark Horse is now Katy Perry's longest top 10 run for a song, which is which is pretty crazy. It's been in the top 10 for what? Like, I think like five months now? Yeah, over 20 weeks. It's been in the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. It refuses to go away. So what, what do you think about this, Keith? I mean, birthday is, you know, it's a top 20 hit. It's not like it's fa- it's fledgling, but why is, should it be bigger? What, what do you think about this? Well, I think we're used to, we've talked about this before with uh, Katy Perry's Unconditionally. Yeah. Um, how when it wasn't racing up the chart immediately, we paused because we normally see Katy's songs fly up the chart quite fast. Um, I think what's happening is what you said, uh, Dark Horse is such a huge hit that it's hard to move away from it uh, because it just it's holding on so well. And that's why it makes it seem like Birthday is having a slightly slower go, especially because the, the video has already been out. It's like it's like a reverse thing um, almost in terms of how her singles have, have moved up the chart. Dark Horse moved up the chart and hit number one, I think, the week before the video came out. Yeah. Um, which was super unusual, and the only reason it was done that way is because it became a single before they were really ready to make a video, I think. Um, whereas Birthday was planned to be a video, or planned to be a single, and the video came out a couple of weeks ago, but the song isn't even like in the top 10 yet. That said, it's still moving up the chart. Um, I'm pulling it up in front of me. Well, not the new Hot 100, unfortunately, but I'm looking at last week's Hot 100, uh, where it was number 17. But it was yeah. holding at 17 for a second week, and it actually decreased in points just a little bit. I think it's going to move up this week because it's still gaining at top 40 radio. Um, I, I I assume it'll be top 10 once once Dark Horse. People, you know, break a little bit on the Dark Horse action, but. Uh, you know, it, who knows? Maybe it could be one of those weird albums where the first single's a huge hit and then unconditionally misses the top 10 and then Dark Horse is a big hit and then maybe Birthday might miss the top 10. But it, I think it's still a little bit early to say this one's not working. You know, this this whole thing, um, this question, I was thinking about this question. It makes me appreciate what Katy Perry was able to do with Teenage Dream, her second album in 2010. I mean, having five number one songs from that album five number one songs and then you had the one that got away which was i think in the top five and then you have the reissue had part of me number one and wide awake number two now it's funny because you you think about a song like unconditionally and then maybe say hypothetically if birthday fails to reach the top 10 i think it will but it, it just in case it does like what she's been able to accomplish with prism most pop stores would kill for. She has two number one songs from this this album, Dark Horse and Roar. She had two, so far, has two more top 20 hits from this album. Like, it's not like Katy Perry is, you know, failing with these songs. They're top 20. It's just that she set the bar so impossibly high with her last album that it's like anything less than like top five or top 10 is going to be like, oh, what's wrong with, birthday why what's going on here i mean she has another song in the top 10 right now it's just like you know it's just i think it's just 
kind of coming back down to earth just a little bit, which is very understandable. So I, I, I think it's, I think Katy Perry will be fine. I, I think birthday will be in the top 10. I don't know if it's going to hit number one or anything, but um, it, I, it, it's a hit. For what it's worth, uh, this, the, this Twitterer was not the only person to ask me about Katy Perry's birthday. Um, yeah. Someone else asked me about it. Um, not, not for the Twitter chat, but more just in general. Um, because I think we're just used to certain stars and certain songs that just seem like they're a hit. Like it's walking and talking like it should be a number one hit. And then it isn't number one yet. And we're like, well, why is that? And so it's not about someone's uh, uh, disappointing. It's just about trying to figure out why this is happening and why the market and why the the, the song isn't catching fire as quickly as it should. Um, so it's not about bashing anyone. I, you seem to go on this like apologist rant a second ago, Jason. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> rain it in. It's okay. We're not, we're not saying anything negative about Katie. We're just talking about why the single isn't top 10 yet. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So apologist rant. Um, so at Aneto ZC wants to know, what is the best source for global sales? So all of, you know, all of, as people know, all of Billboard's charts or most of Billboard's, like the Hot 100, the Billboard 200, count U.S. sales and, and U.S. everything. What about global sales? Where can people turn, Keith? Well, uh, there there isn't a SoundScan-like uh, company for the world. Yeah. So SoundScan actually tracks uh, point-of-sale purchases. So when you actually purchase something from iTunes or you download something from Amazon or you buy something at Target or Walmart or Kmart or whatever um, – those sales are then transmitted to SoundScan and they certify them and then they hand them over to Billboard and we make our charts. There is no SoundScan equivalent for the world. Uh, it's too difficult to track sales in many countries. So there, there is something that you could use as a resource, though. Uh, uh, the IFPI, uh, which is basically the RAAA, but for the world. And let me step back and tell you what IFPI and the RAAA is. RIAA is the Recording Industry Association of America. Uh, it's the trade group, basically, that represents the major labels in the United States towards the government and in other interests. And they also certify uh, gold and platinum albums and you know, go to Congress and argue for things and et cetera. The IFPI is sort of the global equivalent um, that represents the music industry around the world. And they have their own uh, program essentially, for certifying albums at certain levels in terms of the amount of sales that they've had on a global scale based upon shipments and estimated sales. So it's not quite like SoundScan. It's more like the RAAA, but it's sort of a good, useful resource. So you can check them out at ifpi.org. Thank you, Keith. That's 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 interesting to me. I um, Well, there you go, man. I mean, because you want to know like what's number one on the Hot 100, but it's also interesting to to realize what is, you know, impacting the rest of the world. And it's, I always liked picking up the Billboard magazine. I've always liked going into the back, the back, the back, uh, because we have international charts there and to see what albums and, and songs are doing well in Australia and the Ukraine and Russia. It's, it's always interesting to me. And uh, before we go, the uh, top-selling album, according to the IFPI of 2013, was One Direction's Midnight Memories with 4 million sold around the world. Okay, there you go. Hey, wow, and didn't that just come out in like November? Uh, maybe, yeah. Wow. <laughs> one D, taking over the world. One, one D, one world. 
Um, so blatantly Beager wants to know what was the most fun interview you've ever had? Um, Keith, you are the, our red carpet master. You're there at the Grammys. You were there at the Billboard Music Awards. Um, what's the most fun interview you've ever had? Oh God, do I have to go first? Yeah, you're going first. Uh, well, uh, good grief. Um, I mean, fun just because I get to talk about that I've done it in the past. I mean, I guess is the fact that I talked to Madonna, you know, at the Billboard Music Awards um, yeah. in 2013. Um, that said, it wasn't really fun. It was just like very memorable. I mean, it was fun, but, you know, it wasn't like, oh my God, we're having like coffee and hanging out and giggles. <laughs> it wasn't like, you know, we were like BFFs and, you know, but it was like a moment for me as a fan. Um, in terms of just sort of fun, there have been lots of great fun moments, and I'm quickly sort of scrolling through everything that I did in 2013, and I was kind of buying time a second ago. Um, Fun, uh, fun ones, Mumford & Sons were fun. They tried to uh, offer me, I was joking with them once on the Grammy red carpet, how I smelled liquor on them, and they said, no, no, it's just iced tea in this cup, and I said, no, it's not, and then by the end of the interview, they were offering me their drink. I'm like, oh no, I'm working, (laughs) you're not. Um, Imagine Dragons are always a hoot to talk to. Um, Bonnie McKee is always very fun and chatty and lively and upbeat. I always love talking to Kathy Griffin. Uh, I talked to her on the same night that she was nominated for a Grammy award last year, which was great because that nomination turned into her first Grammy award. Um, and then, gosh, I don't know. Um, Ariana Grande has always been really cool and fun. And she, I swear, knows more about pop culture, um, at her age than I think most people know. Um, and it's not just pop culture of the moment, but she knows about stuff like old stuff. Like she, she's a really sort of, sort of, you know, wise woman at her very young age. Um, and then fifth harmony are always kind of a giggle because there's five of them and they're always talking over one another and they're always sort of screaming, but, um, they're always a hoot. Um, so that's just sort of a couple people, a couple people, your turn. (laughs) Well, there you go, man. Uh, your most fun interview was about 18 people, but, uh, 18-way tie. Um, oh, well, you know, and also Cher uh, <laughs> was a hoot. Cher. Oh, yeah, you did interview Cher. Cher at her house, was which funny. was great. Um, Stevie Nicks at her house was pretty freaking awesome. Um, and then Keep going, man. Keep, probably keep going. my most socialized uh, uh, interview after, say, Madonna <laughs> was the Taylor Swift interview at the American Music Awards last year where we joked about how she didn't want the year to end because then she'd have to break up with the year and then she'd have to write a song about it. Ha, ha, ha. She got a good laugh out of that. We, she, she, anyway. Your turn. So basically, your most fun interview you've ever done is all of your interviews. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I can tell you one. definitively that there have been lots of interviews that were not fun, but I'm not going to talk about those. Okay. Goodness, man. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm glad you've had so many good interviews. Um, <laughs> um, so I, I have two answers for this. I always tell people, because people ask me, um, who's your favorite artist to interview? Um, I always say Tegan and Sarah. Tegan and Sarah, uh, I've interviewed them, you know, on a couple occasions, maybe five or six times over the past few years. They're just, they're they're the best. They're, they're really smart and funny and so kind and, and genuine and, and really thoughtful in their responses. And you always want that. So um, Tegan and Sarah are great. Um, the most fun specific interview I've ever had was with Rick Ross uh, in 2011. So I was working on a big story for Billboard magazine 
on Bon Iver, um, who was about to release his second album uh, right right around that time. And I was trying to gather sources, and Rick Ross and his Maybach Music Group crew were in town. So I, I talked to his rep, and I'm like, hey, Rick Ross is in town. I'd love to get a quote from him about Bon Iver. They worked on the song Monster on Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy album together. So his rep is like, yeah, sure. Ask, ask him a question. And, um, so I go up to him and I ask him a question and he gives me the greatest, I only talked to him for one minute. It's literally one minute, but it is the greatest quote I've ever gotten. And he talks about sharing a closet with Bon Iver sitting down in this closet, smoking the best weed the world has to offer coming up with genius ideas for Kanye's album he, um, I think he called him an effing genius, Bon Iver, and I was just like, Rick Ross, this is making my day. So Rick, Rick Ross talking about Bon Iver is something I will never forget. So um, thank you to Blatantly Beager for that question. Um, so we got we got to we got to blast through about we got like three more we can blast through. We're, so we're going to shorten at, our answers by a lot. Exactly. At Blue Bolt fifteen wants to know: Should Lady Gaga release another single off Art Pop? So Lady sure. Gaga, why not? <laughs> why the heck not? Why the heck Apl- not? Applause was a top ten hit. Um, Do what you want was top twenty. GUI didn't really happen. I would love to see Manicure released. I-, I I like that song a lot. I think that's my favorite song off that album. That's uh that's like the most poker facey song on that album to me. And I would love to see it. it- will she release another single? Um. I'm not sure. I would I would say probably not because she's already talked about Art Pop 2, a sequel that's kind of waiting in the wings already. So, I think it's time maybe to maybe for her to, you know, kind of take the take the foot off the gas pedal a little bit and and maybe look toward her next project. But if she does, I am in I'm in support of Manicure. Um you've you've anything anything to add to that? I have nothing Keith? to add, but I say why not? Why not? Um, so we got two more. At Alex Dremain, Alex Dremain, uh wants to know, are there any plans to incorporate streaming data into the Billboard 200 albums chart like you do for the Hot 100? Keith, I will let you take that one. Well, here is my, here is my official answer. Uh, we are always looking at new ways of charting how music and albums are consumed. You know, if you follow the charts, you see that you know we've we've incorporated you know, for example, YouTube uh, view data and streaming data into the Hot 100, and we just launched real-time Twitter charts. So we're always looking at new and interesting ways of charting how albums and music are consumed. Uh, I have no news to share with you right now about any new charts, but certainly stay tuned to Billboard.com, and we'll keep you posted. Very cool. Thank you for that, Alex. Um, so last one, man, we've had, we had so many other questions. We unfortunately had to, I I think this is the ninth one or the 10th one. We had to narrow them down. Um, at Kurt Trowbridge wants to know which single this year has most surprised you by becoming a hit. So Keith, I'll, I'll take this one. I'll, I'll answer first, um, to give you some time to think if you need it. Uh, I, I think the obvious answer to me is All of Me by uh, by John Legend, which was a, his first number one single on the Hot 100. Multiple weeks at number one. I just, you know, 
I still am really kind of shocked that this song took off. It's it's a it's a great song. I don't think it's when I heard Adele's "Someone Like You," that's like a transcendent ballad to me. And I thought, oh man, even though this is like a just piano song, just a piano ballad, and and her vocals, that this is going to be a huge hit. I never really felt that way with John Legend. I thought I was like, oh, this is a really sweet song. But I I didn't see it coming at number one. That that I mean I'm I'm blown away by that. I mean congrats to him. I I've always liked John Legend, but you know all of me I I didn't. Who saw that coming? Yeah, <laughs> who did? What what's your uh, what's your pick, man? Um, uh, well my favorite hit right now that's unlikely was all the sirens I just heard a second ago. Um, we can edit that out. Um. <laughs> We'll keep it. We'll keep it. We'll keep it. Um, I think, well, I mean, I think there's a couple. I don't like picking, like, the one or, you know, whenever someone asks me, what's your favorite? Like, I hate doing that because I don't, you know, I just, it's not because I don't have favorites. It's just, it's really hard to pick. So I think there's a couple songs that I think became sort of unlikely hits this year. I still think it's surprising that Idina Menzel's Let It Go became such a phenomenon. Yeah, that's a great great Um, choice. Especially considering that it's been... I mean, the era of, oh, it's a Disney animated movie and there's a theme song from it that becomes a pop hit. Like, that era has long passed. The era of A Whole New World from Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast from Beauty and the Beast and, you know, uh, You'll Be in My Heart from Tarzan. Like, that all was a long time ago. So it was never uh, an automatic thing that Let It Go was going to be a hit. And I think they kind of were thinking that the Demi Lovato version of Let It Go, which they recorded yeah, for the soundtrack, true. was going to become the hit. And then instead, the Idina Menzel version became the hit. So I think that that in itself is a huge surprise. I think, of course, as you said, the John Legend hit is, of course, a surprise. I think also Iggy Azalea, which we talked about before, going to number one with Fancy, um, White Australian Girl, which... I know it sounds, you know, sort of silly to say, but I'm like, you know, even she herself in a recent video interview with Billboard said, you know, she was surprised. She's like, look, I never thought I had a chance, really. I I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing. But she, you know, asked herself saying, you know, I'm this girl from Australia in a hip hop pop world. You know, I never thought basically that she would be number one. I mean, maybe she did, but I think she's surprised and elated that she was number one. But a year ago, you wouldn't have expected this. Um, So I think those are three pretty good wins. But I think really, as we talked about in last week's podcast, where we rattled off the top 10 and said how so many of them were kind of unlikely surprise hits, I think there are a lot of surprise hits this year, not just those handful that we mentioned. I think there's a whole slew of things that you could mention that you wouldn't have expected to have been a hit. I mean, who thought that Sia would have had a sort of a hit with Chandelier right now? Um, Sia, who was kind of off the radar and just became a songwriter. Oh, wait, now she's back on the scene with her own hit single. So Speaking speaking of off the radar, Lil Jon has a top five song right now. Yeah. Um, So shout out to Lil Jon. All right, well, we got to wrap this up, Keith. Um, before we get to your chart side of the week, I just want to again say thank you so much to all those who submitted questions uh, for Ask the Pop Shop. We'll definitely be doing this again. I think we did the last one about four months ago, so we will wait maybe in the fall until uh, the next rendition. Um, yeah, but th- these were great questions. If if you submitted a question that did not get answered, uh, feel free to tweet us uh, at Jason Lipshutz at Keith underscore Caulfield, um, we're happy to answer any questions you might have on Twitter. So, Keith, uh, we got to wrap up, but before we do, man, it's your time. 
Charts out of the week. Um, chart stat of the week is about J-Lo. 15 years ago this week on June 12th, 1999. On the 6th. On the, it's got to be on the 6th, right? No, but it's a song from On the 6th. Oh, okay, okay. I thought the album came out. It's all right. You were very excited. You were having a game show moment where you buzzed in before the question was finished. Oh, yeah, I did. Go ahead. So the first single from On the 6th, which was called If You Had My Love. My Love, yeah. Hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 on June 12th, 1999. It spent five weeks at number one and is one of four number one hits for Jennifer Lopez on the Billboard Hot 100. She has in total charted 26 hits on the Hot 100 chart. And of course, that was the beginning of a uh, huge music career for Jennifer Lopez, uh, a true triple threat, and a Billboard Icon Award winner, as we saw earlier this year at the Billboard Music Awards. Keith, do you remember the music video for If You Had My Love? Um, yeah. Where she's like being watched by cameras. It's like the most 1999 thing ever. It's like outdated technology and she's in all these like all these security cameras are like following her every move it, just, it doesn't make a lick of sense but i love it there, oh there's 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 a whole we could do a whole podcast about like you know Jennifer moments, Lopez music moments in videos. time in, in old music videos like you know kelly Rowland and nelly in dilemma i always this this, oh, this picture yeah. always shows up on tumblr where kelly is texting someone using a microsoft excel spreadsheet on like an old nokia phone or something i'm like well no wonder he hasn't texted you back you're trying to text him on a spreadsheet anyway yes I know. Oh my goodness. Even like the song, like this is completely off topic, but it, you made me think of it with Kelly Rowland. The Destiny's Child song Bugaboo has like, in, <laughs> in, in the chorus alone, has like five different. Like, Tell AOL to make my email stop. Mm hmm. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's that. like it referenced like a pager, and it's just like, oh man. A pager, not, and, you know, all sorts of technology that it's out. Well, that's the other problem. Like, you know, when you have shout outs to a very contemporary time, like, yeah, it's 1997. Oh, is it? Not really. Yeah. Going. yeah. Do you think, like, in 15 years, like, all the rappers, like, rapping about Instagram, like, kids are just going to be like, what the hell are they talking about? It's all about living in the moment, baby. And then you just update that song 10 years from now. You know, when you if, you, if you reference someone in the song, you just update it, you know, to whoever's the more contemporary version of that person you first referenced. Yeah. Well, Keith, that was an amazing charts out of the week. Yeah, wasn't it? All right, Keith. So we will be back next week. Um, you know, the, the thing about, so we're taping this on Tuesday, actually. It's going to be posted regularly scheduled on a on a Thursday. Um, but we're taping this on a Tuesday because I am off to Bonnaroo tomorrow. I am taking an RV down um, and I will be there all week. I'll be back in time to uh, tape next week's Pop Shop podcast. We might do, we might, we might, we might do a special Bonnaroo podcast down on location in Manchester, Tennessee. That would just be me. Um, I would, uh, I would be singing, I'll be missing you while I tape the podcast, of course, Keith, because you won't be there. But um, but then next week we will definitely have as regularly scheduled um, the Pop Shop podcast talking about we and we we have a ton of new music to talk about. We didn't talk about Jack White at all today, but we'll talk about his album debut. We'll have new albums from Sam Smith and Jennifer Lopez and Lana Del Rey, and then a week after that we we'll, we'll have Ed Sheeran. So there there's a ton of stuff coming out, and um, yeah, it, it's an exciting time for the Pop Shop podcast. Keith, do you have any parting words? I do not. 
All right, we're uh, we're gonna go out on um, that Demi Lovato song. I uh, aforementioned Demi Lovato song, something that we're not. I'm telling you, make it a single, Demi. Thanks for listening and take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.